Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. So anybody ever heard of Death Valley in uh, California? Death Valley, if you don't know, is a, um, is a desert uh, where there's no vegetation, there's no sustainability, there's some parks and some different things, um, but the levels and the temperatures of what Death Valley gets to uh, makes it where there's no vegetation, no growth. Um, it, in its peak season in Death Valley, California, temperatures get so high um, that uh, some would say figuratively it can melt your skin. Uh, so Death Valley deserves its name correctly, its place correctly. Uh, but what's amazing about Death Valley, and I was researching today, and the title of the sermon is, This is Your God. If you're taking notes, write that down. This is your God. And back to our story, what's amazing about Death Valley is there's this, uh, what some experts would say, a mystical phenomenon that happens, but once every 10 years, some once every 15 years. And what happens in Death Valley is what's known as a super bloom. Anybody ever heard of that before, a super bloom? You can look this up, and I gotta hurry and preach it before you get on Google. Um, but what happens is, and uh, historically was recorded in 2005, was there was a, a rare um, weather pattern where this uh, valley that barely gets 0.2% of rain every year gets uh, the amount of rain combined in 14 years in one day. So this weather pattern comes over Death Valley and this gully washer falls over Death Valley. Well, what's remarkable is, and we have a picture, if you could show our first picture of Death Valley, dry, bare, barren. This is what it looks like on a day-to-day basis. But when the rain came unexpectedly, I want you to see what happened next that scientists would say a super bloom happened. So the day before the rain, nothing, parched, dry, dead, no life, no vegetation. But one day after the rain came, this phenomenon known as a super bloom, where the entire valley was covered uh, with vegetation, with flowers. And if you look into it, it's so blossomed and so spectacular that um, aerial shots from space, you can see the vegetation in the valley. Now, as I was researching this, and it's so good, it has to be preached. Um, One of the park authorities who watches over Death Valley made comments from the super bloom in 2005. And his comments were this, and I quote, he said, "Um, most people didn't realize and don't realize that There are seeds that are laying dormant under the surface, directly under the surface. They're dormant, not dead. And if they would get in the right atmosphere, that they would begin to grow. And not only that, he said, what we see here in these seeds, these are seeds of possibility. Dormant seeds of possibility. Now, am I preaching anybody today that there's some dormant seeds of possibility that if they'll get under the right influence of the Holy Spirit, that they can begin to grow and blossom 
And what has took 14 years with small amounts of rain, God can do a super bloom in your life in one moment, in one rainfall, in one refreshing. See, this is why God's house is important. This is why his presence is important. Because he can take these parched, dry, dead places that everyone has counted off, you've rejected and counted off, and when the rain comes, those seeds of possibilities, the dormant places of your life can bloom. You know, I want to speak to you today from what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. This is what he says. He says, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, we could say this together, here is your God. Here is your God. Is Again, we're in this third Sunday of Advent. This would be an Isaiah and the theme of the book of Isaiah of look at your God. This is your God. And as we read Isaiah 35 this morning, it speaks to this super bloom happening uh, in the church, this super bloom happening in your life, in the places that are devastated, in the places that are of a desert. You know, I was thinking about deserts and how we all go through desert-type seasons. Maybe you're in a desert season now, and desert seasons are awful. We don't like them. We don't pray for them. We don't wish for them, but we can't control when those seasons come. You know, I was thinking about the heroes in the Bible. And if you read the great heroes of the faith, a common theme that overlaps time and time again is that they went through a desert, that they didn't become who they were from Joseph to Abraham to Moses without a desert season. Think of just quickly, Abraham, he had to cross the desert to get to the promised land. Joseph had to be sent into Egypt and the prison until he was ready for his mission. Moses many years, was uh, for many years a shepherd in the desert before he became a liberator. John the Baptist was a voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the desert, deserted places. And Paul, the apostle Paul, he went into the desert of Arabia after seeing the risen Lord to unpack and uncover this revelation of Jesus that he had. And last but not least, Jesus, his 40 days in the desert, went in with the Spirit, came out in power. Let's think of what a desert is. A desert, um, uh, figuratively and allegorically speaking for us spiritually, is in the desert, it's usually a time and a place where you come face to face with your reality. You come face to face with your sin. You come face to face with your humanity. Not only that, you, in desert times, you go back to the basics. You get lean. You get refined. Um, there's not abundance and extravagance. There's not a lot of things you can hold on to. You're back to the basics of what it takes to survive. Parts of your life, extraneous things are stripped away. And where I want to get to is the desert is a place where you learn radical dependence on God. You see, we live in a world and a consumer culture that if we're not careful and, and, and not having it rightly ordered, is it beckons us to put dependence on comforts, dependence on things that can take care of us immediately versus 
putting dependence first and foremost, rightly ordered, rightly prioritized on God. And as we think about what Isaiah is teaching us today of how God can break into the desert places of our lives, how he can bloom in places that we've given up on, we have to think and we have to remind ourselves it takes patience and it takes endurance. It takes patience and it takes endurance. Maybe some of you, you've thrown in the towel and years later, months later, you've looked back and said, oh, if I would have just been a little more patient, if I would have endured a little bit longer, then God could have had his full work and I maybe wouldn't have had to go around the mountain one more time because he'll still get you there, just you gotta make another lap around or maybe two laps around. But I'm reminded of what James says, and I encourage you to regularly visit the book of James because it's got a one-two punch um, of just biblical truth to be reminded of. This is what James says about patience and endurance. He says in verse seven, he says, brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. So he's taking this patience and endurance and he's giving us the example of you gotta be patient like a farmer. And uh, he'll get into the book of James as you read on down more, essentially don't be a fussy farmer. Amen, Danny Benton. We're not fussy farmers, right? Is you can't be a fussy farmer, you can't complain and you can't uh, complain about things you don't have control over. Your job as the farmer is to plant the seed and then you gotta trust the process and you gotta trust things that are out of your control. And where we begin to move away from dependence on God is when we try to start gripping and putting control on things that we were never intended to have control of. And if you can hear what I'm preaching today, some of us today are putting control on things and out of that control on things, we've become stuck. We're enduring for the wrong reasons. And I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us today, let's refine some of that and let's release control over here and get back to dependence on God because Jesus teaches time and time again, you're gonna learn dependence like this. You gotta become like a child who's dependent upon a parent. You come into the kingdom as a child. It's a paradox. And sometimes it's like, is it that simple? Yes, but we overcomplicate it and we make it harder than what it has to be. He goes on to say in James, he says, you gotta eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. So in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the waiting, you gotta then put your vision on that there will be a harvest. It will ripen, it is coming. But you've gotta be patient and you've gotta wait. He says, don't grumble about each other's brothers and sisters. I always love when scripture puts, I'm gonna say something hard, but hey, you're a brother and sister, so just receive it. He says, or you will be judged, for look, the judge is standing at the door. You know, I have three exhortations I want to give you today. And um, out of these exhortations, I want to build upon what Chad talked about last week because he wouldn't do a series on it, so the pastor and me will build upon it. Um, he talked about who is God to you. And everyone, if you were here, uh, you wrote down kind of a note of what came to your mind in just 30 seconds of who God is. And... Uh, I want you just to kind of revisit what you put down. And 
The thing I know is when you put down of who God is to you, what the next step has to be is, okay, now I'm going to take who God is to me, open up the word of God and say, is the God that I think and that I see, is it the God that is revealed? Because there's places and times and seasons when we think God should be doing something, he should be acting. But God's over here in his word trying to get it to us, saying, that's not even who I am. You have an image of me, and that's not what's revealed. And see, this is why it's important that we are consuming sacred scripture regularly. We are making the time to know who God is and how he is revealed. And in my first exhortation to you today, number one is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. When we are approaching God, we have to approach him in faith and how he reveals himself. So first step, when you approach God, you have to approach him in faith to how he reveals himself. And hear this as well. The biggest mistake I will make, you will make, we can make collectively in times and places in our life is when we approach God and we approach him as he is not. We approach him as he is not. You know, when we approach him as he is not, uh, practically speaking, it can be images that we've got of God from our parents growing up that maybe weren't correct, maybe in their best effort um, tried to, uh, maybe you had a divided home or a non-Christian home, got saved later, whatever your upbringing, your story is, we get images ingrained in us of who God is based off how the, our parenting, based off how you were parented. Um, images of God maybe in broken theology that was communicated to you. Maybe you got a God that was angry all the time and you could never mess up. And when you did mess up, you ran from God rather to God. If we, I could preach there. When you mess up, when you slip up, when you fail, you fail backwards. You don't fail forwards into the arms of a loving Savior who wants to love you right in your mess, love you right in your brokenness. Many times we run from God because he, we think he wants to judge us and damn us versus heal us and show us mercy, grace, repentance, forgiveness. So we've got to approach God in how he reveals himself. This is what I do when people say, well, who is God? Well, God is like Jesus. He's always been like Jesus. We just didn't always know that. God is like Jesus. He's always been like Jesus. We just didn't always know it. So if you want to know the image of God, you look at the person of Jesus who walked in a body here on earth, who after his death and his resurrection sent his Holy Spirit, and now his spirit lives in us, and we image Christ in the earth. We become like him. We get to know him. And, and the more we grow in this life, the more we look like our dad, the more we look like our father because he's in us and he's teaching us and growing us and training us. I mean, isn't that funny when you, some of you who have older kids, the older your kids have gotten, the more you see their mannerisms, the more you see their looks, and they, you start to look like your parents the older you get. The same is in our walk with God. The older we grow, the more mature we get, we should look more like our Heavenly Father. We should look more and act more and be more, do more like Jesus. It's a great challenge and it's a great vision for our lives. So we know 
Jesus is the image of God. And one thing I love to do, and if you're struggling today, this is simple but profound. Anytime you forget who God is, what he looks like, how he feels about you, you need to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. And with direct theological accuracy, you can replace in the love chapter Jesus for what love is. Because God is love. Jesus is the image of God. And you can remind yourself and refresh yourself with sacred scripture of who Jesus is. And and I just want to punch through some of these for a minute and encourage somebody today. Because if you don't get this right in your prayer life, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get to the breakthrough because you're praying to a God who's not revealed himself in the way you have in your head. It's a fictitious Jesus. It's a false Jesus. And you got to get to the word because this is the real Jesus. And here's who he is. Jesus suffers long. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not parade himself. He is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave rudely. He does not seek his own. He is not provoked at you. Jesus does not think evil thoughts of you. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity, but he rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. And Jesus endures all things. Jesus will never fail. Jesus will never fail. He will never fail you because he's good and he wants only good for you. You know, this is a main transition in how we think of Jesus as well. And it's this, we can't love a God we don't know and we can't know a God we don't love. And we definitely can't trust a God that we don't think is good. You gotta pause there and I want you just to reflect. Do you not love God because you don't know him? And do you not know him because you don't love him? And is there somewhere deep down in you because of a past experience, a present experience, something you were told, something that was said, that you secretly doubt, you wouldn't say it, but you act like it, that God does not want what's best for you. Maybe it's broadly, yes, God is good, but is he good and does he want best for my marriage? Does he want what's good and what's best in raising my children? Can I trust God's best of what his word says about my kids or do I need to come in and help God a little bit, right? You know how we talk and how we do. So you've got to come to grips that God is good and this is not a formula you can plug in, but a relationship that has to be formed. And again, we take our approach of God and we are not, we don't allow our feelings and our thinking to form God's word. We allow God's word to form our feelings and form our thinking. This is where we get screwed up. We take our impressions, we take our, our filters and we put it on God's word to, to help the medicine go down a little better. But you got to wrestle with who Jesus is because it's in the wrestling we become like him and we get to the truth. Number two is this exhortation is you got to make simple acts of faith. You got to make simple acts of faith. You need to know this about Jesus is he loves you to no end and he holds nothing back from you. Again, you get what you choose. Do you choose him or do you choose another lover? Do you choose something else? 
because he wants to give it all to you. It's just where's your capacity? Are you choosing him? Are you choosing something else or some other fantasy or some other God, some other form of worship? And if I can encourage you today is when he reveals himself in times of prayer in services like this, take a simple step of faith, posture yourself, receive what he wants to place in your hand, what he wants to put in your heart, what he wants to change in your thinking. He loves you to no end. And here's the beauty. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have a perfect ability to even understand it. Again, the desert, the seeds laid dormant, and it wasn't till the rain came that the bloom happened. I believe I'm talking to some dormant seeds inside of you today, that if you will get under the influence of the Holy Spirit, some things can change in your life. What influence is around you? You've heard it said of, show me your five closest friends, I'll show you your future. Whatever is influencing you is a determining factor of what will be ahead of you. You gotta take these simple acts of faith. You gotta become like a child. You've gotta position yourself before him. You've gotta approach him with dependency. You've gotta know that everything you have need of can come from him. He is the source, he is the well, he is life. And he wants to give you what you have need of. You've gotta let go of trying to protect yourself all the time, trying to shelter yourself all the time, trying to provide for yourself all the time, and let God do something fresh and new in your life. You've gotta open yourself up to receive. And see, I believe a lot of people in those points of contact where Jesus wants to get us is we don't open up our heart to really receive from him. And that's okay, but if you wanna get to um, the fullness of what God has, you've got to have a posture that can open up and receive from what Jesus wants to do. You have to get a greater awareness of who he is, and when you get a greater awareness of who he is, you recognize who you are in him. It's amazing. Get a greater awareness of who he is then you will recognize who you are in him. This is where transformation happens and transformation takes place. You know, I, I reflect on, on my story. I've been preaching now seven years as a lead pastor. Can you believe it? I still look like I'm 23, I know. Wait till I save the beard. Um, but I can remember in the first few months of, of ministry, uh, you know, all different kinds of people that were here. It's crazy how church cycles change. Um, but there was, you know, you're very vulnerable in trying to find your voice. I, I heard once that uh, it takes about six years for a preacher to find its, his voice. Uh, and I can attest to that, that you're just trying to figure it out, figure out what God's doing. But besides that, I can remember that something was said to me in a critical spirit and you know, I tried to throw it off, but it, it really, it, it hurt. It hurt. And, uh, you know, that, that person who's no longer here, um, I didn't kick him out. They left, just so you know. I'm a good shepherd. Um, I can remember that when that was said, uh, I began to find myself to stay away from that topic or to stay away from that situation because... I cared about how that person felt about what I was saying. And without realizing it, I was giving that person control over myself. 
And I can remember that just wrestling with it for a few weeks and just taking it to God in prayer and saying, God, I'm struggling with this. Help me get through this. And I can remember um, in that moment of where I was even being a little harsh on myself, I was trying to make it right, figure it out, um, that I felt the Lord say, let me love you right here in this moment. And it was as though that scripture came to me, perfect love casts out fear. See, you got to get yourself in the presence of Jesus and get to the place of where he can love you in your brokenness, in your pain, in your questioning, because it's in that love, wisdom can come, truth can come, that you can be reminded of who you are in him. Because if I would have allowed that thing to fester, who knows what could have happened? Maybe something else would have happened and it's this compound effect and then you're bitter and then you just, you've got to keep yourself pure and clean. You've got to keep your temple free and, and forgiveness and all of those things. No one's exempt of that. So you've got to have this awareness of who God is and what he's doing. You know what I love too when you spend in his presence and I want to get to closing here on our third point is when you allow God to love you and even ask, maybe some of you are like, I don't even see how God is loving me right now. Because if you don't know that God's loving you, you can't trust him. Again, if you don't think God loves you, why would you trust someone who doesn't love you? Think about the hardest moments and points in your life when you just needed somebody. That person comes to your mind. You know that if you needed them, they would have open arms ready to receive, give you a hug, share, and, and give you care. And you run to that person. That's the person Jesus wants to be in your life, that you run to him when there's those moments of pain and brokenness and allow him to love you. But if you don't think Jesus is loving you, if you're in that camp today, you need to get in his presence and ask him this question. And I promise he will reveal it. How are you loving me today? How are you loving me today? It's that simple, but if you just take a moment and rest in that, he'll speak to you. He'll fill you with gratitude for how he has moved, where he is moving. What did we just sing? Even if I don't see it, you're working. Maybe he can reveal some things of how he's working behind the scenes on your life and on your situation that you've forgotten about or that you're not aware of. You know, that's what I love about the cross is you could look at the cross in that day and time, a, a, a torture weapon for Rome, for its worst criminals. How can something good come out of this? So as you look at this cross every Sunday, it's a reminder of God can take the worst things in your life and turn it to something good. He did it with Jesus and he sure can do it with you and with me. Last but not least, You've got to share with Jesus the fear points in your life. You gotta get vulnerable, you gotta get real with him. He doesn't bless what we conceal. He doesn't take our filters. He takes who we really are and where we're really at. So you gotta share with Jesus these fear points and allow him to love you in them. Again, if you get a Jesus that is angry when you mess up or when you're insecure, when you're in pain, you've gotta to get to the place and say, here it is, I need you to love me in it and allow perfect love 
to cast this fear out, to cast this pain out, to cast this depression out, to cast this anxiety out. I'm, I'm convinced that many of us, we go so far in between of allowing the love of Jesus to really penetrate our hearts. There's times we just give lip service or we white knuckle it and we just try to be better versus resting, surrendering, posturing and allowing him to make us better. He's the greatest physician, the greatest doctor that can do that. We've got to grow in this trust. And Corey, if you would help me close today, I want you to get this idea of how this is your God, that God delights to be with you in your pain and in your need. You've got to get in touch with your need. And the more you get in touch with what the root of your need actually is, you can draw power from him, you can draw strength from him, you can draw healing from him, love from him, light can shine on your situation. You've just gotta get in touch and get oriented into the presence of God. You know, it's uh, understanding this as well. You can't be afraid when he brings things to the surface in your life. Another thing I'm convinced of is the hardest thing some of us will ever do is to sit in a room by yourself with no screen, no music, no TV, no book, and just be with him and nothing and nobody else. Many times the biggest place of fear is to actually look at ourselves in the mirror and really reflect on who we are. Not who we think we are, not who somebody tells us we are, but who we really are. But if you can hear this today, that's the place that Jesus wants to bring you And in that, he will not reject you. He will not come at you, but he will love you in that. And he will speak to you and give you wisdom and remind you of who he is and what he wants to do. I wanna close with Matthew chapter 11. And I just wanna allow the Holy Spirit to give him some time to move in your heart today. So Matthew chapter 11 would be pulling into what Isaiah 35 is. These would be in the same conversation. Matthew chapter 11, I think John the Baptist asked a question we're all asking today. And here it is. He says, when Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in the towns throughout. And it looks like we lost it. So he went out the region to teach. And here's what John the Baptist asked. He says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, he heard about all these things that the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus this question. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking? Should we look for somebody else? See, I believe I'm talking to somebody today that is on the threshold You're asking the question, is Jesus real? Does he really care? Are you this Messiah I've heard about or do I need to keep looking for something else? Another drink, another drug, another relationship, another something to comfort me, another distraction, another distortion. When he's saying today, and we're gonna see what his reply was, I am the Messiah, you can bet on it. If you put it back up, Caitlin, look at the response. 
So this is important, and this could be a whole nother sermon here. He's going to tell not the things that we're to believe, but the things Jesus has done, the things Jesus did. Because I could say, believe this. That's great. You're taking my word. But when something actually was done, it's 100% factual. It's 100% real. You can bank on it. You can bet on it. So John the Baptist is going to say not the things you're to believe, but he's going to remind you the things Jesus has done. Carries more weight, more of a punch. He says, here's what's going to happen. And tell them what has already happened. The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. Those with leprosy are being cured. The deaf are hearing. The dead are rising to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. So yeah, JB, John the Baptist, he is the Messiah. You can stop looking. And I'm here to tell you today, stop looking everywhere and at anything and look up to the Son and receive the power of the Holy Spirit today. If you bow your head, I want to pray for you. And I want to speak again to those seeds that are dormant in you, the seeds of possibility that only Jesus can bring to life. Can you let him love you right now? Just calm yourself. Relax for just a moment. And allow the Holy Spirit to activate something in you right now. Truth of who God is. Jesus, we just rest for a moment. We look to you, the King of Kings, the one that Christmas is all about, the one we know that you have come into our brokenness, you've come into our pain. You don't leave us alone, but you redeem it. You restore us. Oh, some of us just need restoration this morning. We've been burning our oil, we've been grinding our gears, and you just need a pause and say, breathe on me, Holy Spirit. I need your oil. I'm tired of trying to be better, do better. I just need you to love me right here and remind me of who I am in you. Father, we thank you that you're doing a work. That you're speaking to us. We posture ourselves to receive. I put this thought down. And I believe this is what he wants to do right now. Some of you need to unburden in his presence. You know, as we bring our burdens to Jesus, a lot of the times we carry things that he never intended for us to carry. And I want you just to ask the Holy Spirit right now, what is something I need to unburden in the presence of Jesus? What do I need to let go of? I believe as he's bringing that from the recesses to the forefront of your mind, just whisper to him to say, I release that thing, I release that person. A lot of the times in a moment like this, a picture I love to have is as though uh, Jesus is walking or I'm walking with someone when you're trying to get to that place of fear, that place of insecurity, that place of not letting go, is I'm walking with you and I'm gonna place your hand in the hands of Jesus and he's gonna say, let it go. Let it go. And here's the beauty of what happens here. 
as you let it go, as you unburden. He just doesn't leave you empty. He then takes a burden and gives you a blessing. Maybe you need peace today. You need joy. You need that reign of the Holy Spirit, that influence of the Holy Spirit to begin to water on your life. I think you're doing that work right now in the name of Jesus. The Spirit of God would refresh your church, would refresh us as brothers and sisters, as children of God today. God, we want to trust in you. We want to take you as you're revealed. We submit who we think you are ultimately to who you say you are. It's not a mystery. It's black and white. We rest on that and we bank on that. And God, I call forth in the name of Jesus the seeds of possibility that have gone dormant through pain, through grief, through life. God, let them come forth right now in your presence. Let them come forth in our children. Teach us as parents, as leaders, as grandparents, great-grandparents to foster a greenhouse for the seeds to grow. Your church is a greenhouse for your presence to water on us, to keep us wise, to keep us sane, to keep us as a family. So God, we thank you for what you've given us. You've given us everything and we choose it today. This is our God. He's amazing. He's endless. He's timeless. He's ancient. He's the ancient of days. He's true. He's truth embodied. He's the way, and he brings abundant life to our doorpost today. We receive from the Holy Spirit today, and every day we choose him. In the powerful, mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. I pray that you receive from that. Uh, those of you who had some tired hands, did you receive something today? I pray that it was an injection of faith um, into your desert place and into your desert season. That this supernatural bloom can happen when the Holy Spirit gets involved in your life. That you trust him a little deeper today. In closing, we're going to honor the Lord and honor this moment with the body and blood of Jesus and remind ourselves of his love for us, his body, poor, his body broken for us, and his blood poured out for us today. I pray in this moment you can taste and see that the Lord is good. See, you've heard about the Lord being good today. You've seen the Lord be good today. But guess what? We're gonna activate another sense. You're gonna taste and see that the Lord is good today through the body and blood of Jesus, that he covers it all, and that we do this in remembrance of him that he commanded us to do. You know, it was a powerful moment yesterday. We, I was able um, to do a wedding here for a couple in our church, and um, we had a, a moment of communion with the bride and groom. And after communion, tears begin to fill the groom's eyes. And uh, he didn't know what he was feeling. It's like, I never cry. I'm like, 
well, you didn't know this, but you're in the right church. You're going to cry because you're going to feel God's presence, okay? Um, and he just began to pour his heart out um, of just trying to put words to a moment of God touching him on his wedding day. Um, and I was just moved seeing God work in his life. And um, what I want to say is don't take this moment lightly that healing can come to you, that as you consume the very body and blood of Jesus, these are life-giving elements. These are to be done in remembrance of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that know he's as close to you as his body is to your tongue. That's how close there's an intimacy to communion. So his body broken for you, you take up the body. Secondly, his blood shed for you. Jesus, we thank you today that you're real, you care, you want to move, cause movement in our life. God, we want to image you. We want to walk out of here knowing that we are loved by you and that we want to not just believe right things, but we want to do what the word says. We want to image Jesus. He didn't just say, believe these things, go do these things. Let us follow in this great work, this great mission that you lay before us. It's a joy to be enlisted in service to our king and in his kingdom. Ah, oh, he is a good God today. We thank you for meeting with us. I let this be a Christmas. We look back, we look around, we look forward in anticipation that this is our God and that there is a bloom coming in the desert of our lives when the Spirit of God gets involved. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.